it's episode seven of the Nitrogen Podcast with me, Marvelous Mark Ashworth, and as always, Das Acton Kid, Brian Bradshaw. How's it going today, Brian? Yeah, not too bad. Um, I've got some news for you. Ooh. I'm actually coming around to the Dunkin' Doom a little bit. Holy shit. Yeah. What are you drinking the- today, Brian? Uh, I have, but that's unrelated. Um, it's mainly <laughs> because for these two episodes, we see very little of them. Yes. Always a good thing. Yeah, unfortunately we see very little of the cruiserweights, but you can't you can't win all battles, lads. No, it is one of them, take the good with the bad or the rough with the smooth, and hopefully we can uh, get back to some hard cruiserweight action, because that's what we're here for, let's be honest. Yeah. Going down on November 27th, 1995 from Salem, Virginia, uh, is this Nitro, but firstly, we'll round up the World War Three pay-per-view results. Johnny B. Bad defeated Diamond Dallas Page to retain the WCW World Television Championship. Big Bubba Rogers defeated Jim Duggan in a taped fist match. Bull Nakano and Akira Hokuto with Sonny Ono defeated Mayumi Ozaki and Kuti Suzuki. Kenzuki Sasaki with Sonny Ono defeated Chris Benoit to retain the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. Lex Luger defeated Randy Savage. Sting defeated Ric Flair. And Randy Savage won the three-ring 60-man Battle Royal to win the vacant WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, did you see any of this, Brian? I did not. Um, I've just been relying on the recaps. Um, mm-hmm. I just could not bring myself to watch the 60-man clusterfuck. That's what I've been calling it, because it just sounds like an absolute clusterfuck to me. Uh, the rest of the pay-per-view, uh, there is a couple of matches I really, really should go back and watch. But... Yeah, I, I kind of like to put that pay-per-view as a whole into the back of my mind. Yeah, it's been discussed a couple of times on uh, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff and uh, maybe a couple of others as well, that the World War Three pay-per-view with three rings and 60 people, yada, 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 is an idea that's much better on paper than it is in reality. So it, it does make you wonder why they did it more than once. Yeah, well... From WWE's perspective, we've heard for years why they didn't really go down the War Games route, even though they actually, for as far as we know, own the whole rights to it and everything. Uh, the reason that they didn't uh, go uh, go for it for many years is because that adding another ring takes away some of the people, uh, some of the attendance in the front row. So adding a third ring to that, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense for for that alone, really, to me. So I don't, I don't know why. I don't know who came up with this idea, why they thought of it. It, it just doesn't sound like a good match. And it just it, it harms your 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 uh, your attendance, really, doesn't it? So the WWE were worried about it eating into their attendance figures in terms of... Is that in terms of having a third ring or having a second ring? No, having a second ring for the War Games match. Oh, I see. Okay, I get you now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, clearly Triple H has a different perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't mind the war games matches to be honest. I know that it, it does it does take away from you know your attendance and everything like that. It does, I suppose, it costs more money, really. But um, from an aesthetic point of view, I don't I don't think I've ever seen a bad war games match, and that includes the ones that we'll cover later on in the Nitrogen podcast. I mean, I've only seen the ones from WWE side of it from NXT and. Even though they are largely different from the ones in WCW in that the cages aren't as big and there's no roof on them. Those matches have actually been really, really interesting. So 
I, I do look forward to actually watching some of the War Games matches. I'm obviously not just going to switch on the network right now, or uh, I won't say right now because we're recording a fucking <laughs> podcast. But that would that would make for good uh, for good uh, audio content. But uh, I'm not just going to randomly put on the network and watch one. Um, I'd rather just like uh, go go through as we are, and when we get to it, watch them then. Yeah, I mean there w- there was one at Fall Brawl. But again, it's the Dungeon of Doom versus Hulk Hogan and the Hulkamaniacs or whatever they were calling themselves at that point. Yeah, and I purposely avoided that. Mm. There, there were odd elements to that match that, that were fairly impressive, but for the most part, uh, I'd particularly recommend... I think it's next year's. I think when we get into... No, sorry. It wouldn't be 96. I think it would be 97. 97 is a really, really, really good one, I think. But in terms of this World War Three Battle Royal with three rings and 60 men uh, included in the 60 men is Scott Armstrong, Steve Armstrong, Iron Anderson, Johnny B. Bad, Marcus Bagwell, Chris Benoit, Big Train Bart, Bunkhouse Buck, Cobra, Disco Inferno, Jim Duggan, Bobby Eaton, Ric Flair, The Giant, Eddie Guerrero, Hulk Hogan, Mr. JL, Chris Canyon, Brian Nobbs, Kurosawa, Lex Luger, Joey Mags, Meng, Hugh Morris, Max Muscle, Scott Norton, One Man Gang, Paul Orndorff, Diamond Dallas Page, Buddy Lee Parker, Brian Pillman, Sergeant Craig Pittman, Stevie Ray, Lord Stephen Regal, Scotty Riggs, Road Warrior Hawk, Big Bubba Rogers, Jerry Sags, Ricky Santana, Kensuke Sasaki, Shark, Fidel Sierra, Dick Slater, Mark Starr, Sting, Dave Sullivan, Kevin Sullivan, Super Assassin Number One, Super Assassin Number Two, Booker T, Squire David Taylor, Bobby Walker, VK Wall Street, Pez Watley, Mike Winner, Alex Wright. James Earl Wright, the Yeti, and the Zodiac. Some names in there you're not going to know. Um, you're going to see them sooner or later, particularly Super Assassin number one and Super Assassin number two. Even I don't remember these guys. Uh, I'd be very hard pressed to, to give you even a description of what they look like, let alone what they wrestle like. I'm very intrigued. For some reason, I got the idea that they've been ninjas or some shit like that. I do know there's mm. some ninjas that do turn up in WCW, but that's in 2000 from what I'm aware. Uh, the Young Dragons? That might be them. Yeah, that's so that's uh, Jamie Noble, Kaz Hayashi, and the third one escapes me. I know I hear on about, he actually ended up in WWE, but I can't remember his name for love nor money right now. Yeah, I think all three of them ended up in the WWE, but I think Kaz left like straight away. And then, as you said, I, th- I think the other two do remain. Um, yeah. I'll be damned if I can remember his name now. I'm really disappointed in myself. No, same here. I- I'm-, I'm very familiar with that time. But it- it's just one of them things where, at the moment, you actually see the face and you can't put a name to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at one point, he, he becomes a fucking car- uh, cowboy. So, you know, <laughs> it- it's not it's not a character that you really, c- really can forget. I just can't fucking put my name to him. Yeah, um, but I can't put his name to him. Should I say? I, I will say though that in 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 the clusterfuck that is WCW two thousand in in the Vince Russo era, the the Young Dragons are actually a highlight of it, and they're really really impressive. Alongside like a feud with Three Count, who are um, Evan Courageous and Shannon Moore, and their third one escapes me as well. Shane Helms. Is Shane that not? Helms. Yeah, I was gonna say it's Shane Helms, isn't it? Again, such a such a weird gimmick having a boy band gimmick and all that lot but when you get away from the storyline element of it and get into the matches they put on some fucking fantastic matches yeah we can say about the boy band gimmick it's of the time 
So going through all this, the Macho Man Randy Savage has come out on the other side of this, and obviously we'll go into details later on as to the the little bit of controversy that there was in terms of the finish, because as we all know, when it comes to Hulk Hogan losing, quote-unquote, the world title, there's always got to be some sort of weird fucking finish to it. So in this Nitro, there are a couple of dark matches, or rather there's three dark matches, so... We have gorgeous George III, who would later become the maestro, Robert Kellum. Interestingly enough, since we've been talking about gorgeous George, and we were talking about themes and everything like that, the the WWE theme for gorgeous George is the correct theme for gorgeous George. Now, the confusion that lied with me was gorgeous George, Robert Kellum, sold the rights to the gorgeous George name to the macho man Randy Savage so that he could use it for his girlfriend who was coming into WCW in 1999. So then she would be referred to as Gorgeous George. Now at this point in time, obviously Gorgeous George III, Robert Kellum, is working dark matches in WCW, so I didn't have a fucking clue who this guy was. I'm not familiar with who he is. No, later on down the line he'll become the the maestro and kind of like a, a Beethoven character and... He gets into a feud with Prince Iakea, who's obviously doing the, the whole Prince gimmick. So it's a it's you know Beethoven versus Prince essentially in WCW Nitro 2000. Yeah, all that fun and games to huh. come, and then you know the Kiss Demon or walking. You know it just yeah, <laughs> and then you've got three count who were a body boy band. It just sounds like if you gave a ten year old child the booking power in WCW and say here book whoever you want. It just kind of sounds like, yeah, and uh, the Kiss Demon comes in and, oh, look, it's Spider-Man, and, oh, it's fucking Superman as well. It's like, you can't... <laughs> it, it just astonishes me, that. It really does. It's, uh, it does. It seems like a 10-year-old girl's book in WCW, doesn't it? So we're going to have we're gonna have Beethoven, all right, classical music, whatever, and then Prince, you know, every little girl like Prince, and then Three Count. You know, it's a boy. It's a boy band, and then the Kiss Demon. Well, he looks cool, so we'll throw him in there as well. I mean, there's there's probably other musically orientated WCW characters knocking around at that time as well, but they're the main ones that I can only remember. Yeah, and I actually said Spider Man there. Um, lest we forget Arachnaman, uh, a clear rip off of Spider Man. <laughs> that was a WCW character. All the good um, times, man. Yeah, I I don't know when, but uh, yeah, I I am aware of that. So, gorgeous George III will defeat Cobra, who I did a little bit of research on after his uh, debut a couple of weeks ago. Turns out to be Jeff Farmer, who will become quite synonymous with the fake Sting character that will come somewhere down the line. Yeah, not the uh, other Jeff Farmer, uh, infamous for uh, for doing one of the worst promos ever. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I don't think I have. Yeah, it just starts with the word, yep. Yeah, it's very, very southern. It's from from like late 70s, early 80s. Uh, yeah, I, I'll send you a video of that. Uh, yeah, it is, it's highly regarded as one of the worst wrestling promos ever, but it's quite infamous for it. Another dark match is the Blue Bloods, who were Earl Robert Eaton and Lloyd Stephen Regal defeating Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater with Colonel Robert Parker. And the last dark match is Alex Wright defeating Disco Inferno. Oh, my God. Why is that a dark match? Why is that not a nitro? Come on. <laughs> I'm disappointed, actually, because at this moment in time, it's getting to the point where we're not seeing Alex Wright or Disco Inferno on the TV at that mo- at this moment no. in time. 
I mean, I've been pleading for uh, for a lack of Dungeon of Doom, but to pave way for these kind of guys. Yeah, exactly. And we're just not getting it. As a, as a side note, we've not heard from either Eric Bischoff or Glenn Gilbert, also known as the Disco Inferno, from um, from what we talked about in our last podcast. So the channels are still open, boys. If you'd like to give us some answers as to why we've still not seen the Disco Inferno music video. Back onto the Nitro, we have a quick video from World War 3 where Hogan has relinquished the black and reverted back to the red and yellow. Fucking hell, the emo phase is over. The emo phase, it didn't last long, did that, it, really? That was quick. He's <laughs> a big boy now. <laughs> he quite cringily calls Sting and Macho his best friends. Like uh, He vows to never question them again, and he, he, he chucks his, his, his emo clothes into the bucket, which then explodes ten seconds later. Like, not on cue, and the macho just runs away because his tassels nearly catch fire. Seriously, WCW pyrotechnics. Like, we talked, you know, last last week or the week before about, you know, Sting nearly getting blown up by his pyrotechnics. This week, they're trying to set macho on fire. Well, what's the deal, man? I know. I mean, uh, WCW seems to have an infinite budget for pyro, and they can't seem to get it right. I think maybe uh, maybe Turner had, like, a, a an excess of pyro from from maybe a, an old film that was being filmed or something like that. They were just like, yeah, 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 if you need any pyro, just use this lot. There's fucking loads. And we need to get rid of it because it's about to go past its sell-by date. Well, that sounds like it. It's already gone past its sell-by date. So into the matches we've got. We get Johnny B. Bad versus DDP to start off with. Johnny B. Bad comes to the ring with Kimberly, also known as the Diamond Doll at this point, and the Confetti Gun. So he's, he's won two things now off DDP. And DDP comes to the ring with a bouquet of roses for Kimberly and instantly sucker punches Johnny B. Bad as soon as he gets into the ring after, you know, trying to present these these roses. There is something I want to say about Johnny B. Bad. I've actually been trying to pinpoint what his uh, what his gimmick is, um, and maybe it's because we recently lost the uh, undisputed king of rock and roll, Little Richard. But holy shit, doesn't he look like him? It's just everything. Mm, yeah, he does. The, the headband, the, the the crazy hair, the mustache. He's just Little Richard. Mm, these these things they seem to take a couple of weeks to like sort of yes. come to us, don't they? Like I've just said about Cobra being Jeff Farmer and, and this sort of stuff. We need to watch them three or four times to to then realize. Oh yeah, I know who yeah. he looks well, like. It now. just seems like he's very much trying to portray that Little Richard character. I mean, he's not obviously not playing rock and roll right like that. He's got he's got the theme music for it though. Let's be fair. Uh, a lot of this match is shot from the view of Kimberly's uh, standpoint who's found a chain in the bouquet of flowers. When the time comes, she looks like she'll throw the chain at DDP, but she ends up throwing it to Johnny B. Bad through DDP's legs, and, and Johnny B. Bad wipes DDP out after showing it off to the crowd. Johnny's sceptical when the match is over, and Kimberly's slightly overzealous on her explanation as to whether she meant to give it to him or to DDP. Now, I mean, it is, it's a little bit cartoony, again, for the... 1500th time on WCW Nitro here. The whole idea that she was giving it to DDP and it went through his legs. His legs were wide open. If she was going to give it to DDP, she was just going to give it to DDP. It wasn't going to be in this sort of way. Yeah. But the, the fact that they did it from Kimberly's uh, viewpoint. Yeah, she's a beautiful woman. There's a reason why she was in Playboy. How DDP managed to pull that, I have no idea. Best seller ever. Absolutely. Did you know she was actually in the 40-year-old virgin? I didn't know that, no. Yeah, do you remember when... Um, I can't, Sorry, I can't remember Steve Carell's character name, and it's been a while since I saw it, but he's actually on a date 
It's like a, a speed dating thing, and there's a woman in a pink cardigan, and her actual breast pops out. That's Kimberly Page. I don't believe it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't know that until a short while ago. Uh, during this whole lockdown period as well, I keep seeing the 40-year-old virgin being replayed like on a bi-daily basis on Sky One. I don't know if that's a real breast, by the way. I can't really say, you know... it. It probably is. I mean, she's in Playboy. Yeah, she got them out in the magazine, so she might she might yeah. have no problem getting them out on TV as well. And I think by that point, her and DDP might have split up. I might be wrong. Yeah, it might it, it might have been beforehand. Right. A little bit of WCW and everything. <laughs> Coming back from a break, we go to Gene at the entranceway with Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan. Tensions are high between these two after Lex broke the armbar on Macho uh, the previous night at World War Three. after Sting came down and talked some sense into Lex. Sullivan is paranoid that Lex is with Sting now, and Jimmy Hart tries to subdue Sullivan's fears and says that he will fix it. He actually he says something like there is a plan with Lex and Sting. So is is Jimmy giving this idea that Sting's ear is now with Jimmy? It's very weird. It's almost as if Jimmy Hart's trying to play himself up to Kevin Sullivan that maybe he's he's losing his grip on Lex. Into the next match, we got QE Suzuki and Mayum Ozaki versus Akira Hokuto and Bola Nakano. This is essentially a rematch from the night before at World War Three. the latter of which are accompanied to the ring by Sonny Ono. They're all representing uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and there's some interesting hairstyles, as we can see here as well. Lots of vocals, plenty of double teaming, and lots of swinging people about by the hair. The one standout for me was probably Akira. Uh, she seemed really athletic. She had a good a good shape to her, and, and she seemed to know her way around the ring really well. And she's deceptively strong as well. You look at her; she's actually quite tall looking. Yeah. But she's not really like she's not bone cano size by any means, and she's not overly muscly. You can tell that she's got muscle wear, but you don't expect her to be, to be able to throw people around at will like she does. Very impressive. Yeah. In the end, there's a great dr- uh, double drop kick off the top rope, which leads into a nice brain buster, which gets uh, gets her the free count. Now, um, absolutely brutal looking. As we introduced last week, we now have the drop kick or meter. So, Brian, what would you give this one? Uh, very much a seven. Yeah, nothing. It was nothing too amazing by any means. It was just a, a standard double drop kick off the top rope. Uh, there wasn't really much height to it, but you know, it did the job, and it got flashy yeah. enough. Would you would you would you say that your rating goes up slightly because it's well probably because if you look at it it's nineteen ninety five and it's a female wrestler. Yeah, pretty much because you know I mean not not to this not to really shit on women's wrestling at the time but it didn't really exist did it? Not uh, not a lot no 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 clearly not outside of Japan. I mm. uh, can't really recall WF's uh, women's division from this time. I'm I'm assuming outside of Medusa. Pretty poor. Uh, Alundra Blaze. Yeah, Alundra Blaze would be the champion here, wouldn't she? As obviously, as we're giving the results for Raws that are clashing with Nitro, that's the only time I've seen a, wo- a women's match in these. You know, this is the thirteenth Nitro now, so that would be thirteen Raws. Sorry, twelve Raws, and um, we've only had one women's match on the Raw, which is Alundra Blaze. So it's a seven on the drop kick for from Brian there for Akira Hokuto, and. It's Akira and Bull Nakano that come away with the win here for the first ever women's match on WCW Nitro. Next up is Hugh Morris versus Hulk Hogan, and this is one match I was not expecting to see in like a billion years. 
there's an early sighting of Hugh Morris in WCWE, even though he did come down to the ring uh, on the previous Nitro, one of the previous Nitros, didn't participate as such. He just came down as a, to show numbers for the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, it shows how quick and agile he is for such a, a big guy. He connects with a moonsault, but it's only with his head. He seems to be a little bit more overzealous about it, or maybe Hulk Hogan's a little bit too close to the corner turnbuckle for him to connect fully, because usually the moonsault connects in a splash type manoeuvre rather than a headbutt. And one of the most impressive moves in the match, and Hulk Hogan obviously has to hook up from it as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that really left a solid taste in my mouth watching that. Yeah, it was a bit of a shame that, it does, as you said, it wakes Hogan up, uh, who quickly dispatches Morris with a big boot and a leg drop for a three count. Pretty pretty squashy, but does give us a slight taste of what Hugh Morris is, and he's, he's still down there in the uh, in the old WWE Performance Centre, isn't he? No, he's uh, long gone now. Long gone, really? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he went out in a blaze of uh, controversy. Interesting. Tell yeah. me more. Uh, basically, he was accused by several wrestlers of uh, very harsh treatment. Uh, in particular, he was accused of uh, punishing the female talent by having them strip, uh, stripped of their underwear and wrestling. Oh. Uh, yeah, he was also known for using racial and homophobic slurs to wrestlers as well. Um, one of the people that actually did uh, accuse him of such is the the man that's Luchasaurus in AEW now. Yeah. I am not at liberty to say that that he actually did do these things. I wasn't there. Um, there are people that have accused him. There are people that have defended him. Um, usually I do say, where the smoke, this fire. Uh, what had happened was that uh, he, he basically resigned before WWE could investigate. I see, I see. Yeah, I don't. I don't know much so, about Hugh Morris's demeanor, personal demeanor. I, I only know him from you know the professional standpoint of who he was in WCW, um, and I knew that he he were up the, he, he were up in the WWE for a long time, weren't he? I mean, he must have been up there for over ten years. Yeah, I think he left around about two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen time. Right. So it, it's been gone for a few years now. Yeah. But that that scandal is worth looking up. Yeah, it seems I'll be coming out of this episode with a lot of stuff to research. <laughs> yeah. Back onto Nitro, we're, we're, we're now plugging the Encore presentations for the pay-per-view, something that we actually discussed in a previous podcast episode that they don't do. Uh, I think it was just after Full Brawl. They were going, oh, we're waiting for the footage, we're waiting for the footage, we're waiting for the footage. And then, you know, in that meantime, what they could have been doing is, is they could have been plugging, you know, the, the replays of the pay-per-view. But... Yeah, that would have fallen out for Halloween Havoc. Yes, it was. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Um, so now they are doing the encore presentations on a Tuesday night. And then it's the Gene who brings out the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the macho man Randy Savage, uh, back in colours rather than in black and white too. So his emo face is over as well. Uh, Gene mentions the controversy from World War Three, where Hogan wasn't eliminated over the top rope. Uh, Hogan comes out and says that the title still has his name on it, brother friend. Uh, I just love Savage's retort. He just says, I was planning on getting that change. <laughs> no argument. No. Uh, they roll the footage from World War Three, and just as it's about to show the giant pulling Hogan out, it cuts off and Giant comes out to attack Hogan and Savage. Sting comes out to help while Hogan gets back up with a chair. Savage was chokeslammed to the floor at the entranceway. And Hogan goes to town on the Giant with maybe 10 chair shots about seven of which looked weak as shit. Yeah, they wouldn't harm a fly then. No, I mean, it, it, 
it, it just kind of sliding off the giant's head rather than hitting him on the head. But you know, kudos to the giant. He 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 sells like a trooper for it. It just looks again. It just looks so wimpy. Sting attempts to calm Hogan down after he whacked a referee inadvertently as well, uh, and both end up checking on the Macho Man after the giant sort of waltzes away. Bischoff then teases on commentary as they cut back that Sting has the ear of Hogan, advising him not to go after the giant. This section's again is is sort of feeding into the sort of Hogan versus Giant storyline that's been you know polluting the WCW airwaves for the past six, seven, eight, nine weeks. Yeah, just continuing to try to tease that Sting is with the dungeon, even though it's been made clear several times now that he he really is not. And what we're doing here is, as well, we're, we're constantly giving the Macho Man an excuse to potentially have some time away from wrestling to try and heal himself up. That's that's the way I saw this anyway, is, is, you know, if you get the giant to come down and chokeslam him to the floor, you can always put on commentary, right, you know, the Macho needs a couple of weeks to rest up and everything, because that arm is in some serious, seriously bad shape at this moment in time. Yes, into another match here, and we're going to have Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman versus Sting and Lex Luger, which has been hyped up all the way through the show. After the entrances, you know, Luger takes his time showing up, but he does in the end. Um, again, I think this was just sort of done to make it look like everything, you never know what could happen on WCW Nitro, so Lex is kind of not about, he's not going to come out, his music's not playing, there's no pyro, and then he just randomly shows up with no music, and then his music starts playing halfway through. Yeah, that were random. Mm. Things seem to be going good for Sting and Luger as a cohesive unit, pretty much uh, from the get-go. When when Sting needs saving or Lex needs saving, they're both there to sort of help each other out. And in a pivotal spot, Luger pushes Pillman off the top rope while Sting has Arn in the Scorpion Deathlock. Pillman crashes into Sting, which breaks the hold, and Lex, from now on, is persistently in the wrong place at the wrong time. When Sting needs a tag, Lex will be off having words with Pillman. Or when Sting needs a save, Luger's been pushed off the apron. Finally, after Arn and Pillman found another way to double-team Sting, Nick Patrick essentially just lets Lex go after the pair of them illegally. And they get the they get the upper hand. It, it, it made me laugh, this, because it, it just gets so nonsensical, really. The referee's supposed to be, you know... you can The referee can disqualify wrestlers for this sort of stuff you know this double teaming and everything and he just lets Lex go and just lets them all fucking brawl it just there's no consistency at all yeah from the off Lex is just like fuck the rules I mean yeah. he's like 20 seconds in and he gets in the ring illegally yeah no and, and going back to him being in the wrong place at the wrong time I it, they sell it as it as if it was actually on purpose that he was purposely uh, be, uh, being late whenever whenever Sting's in peril and he purposely put uh not Pillman into Sting. I mean, whatever, whatever about that. But why are you selling that? What 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 is the end game here? Yeah, it's weird because to me it, it makes absolutely no sense. He's he's had no problem with Sting. Sting's been his friend, so now you're teasing that he might be on the outs with him, and then you go to next week and this is completely forgotten about. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's like mass confusion from the commentators, isn't it? The, the, the... They're kind of making a story out of something that isn't is a non-story, really. Yeah, it is a little bit unusual. That's a good shout, actually, Brian, because I didn't write any of that down. But the finish is Sting rolling Pillman in a really bizarre finish, which I think has actually been fucked up. Luger and Arn are fighting, and Sting awaits a move from Pillman so that he can duck and roll him up. But Pillman looks really like confused about what to do, almost as if he's forgot the spot entirely. Sting rolls him up after taking a, a punch to the face, which 
Sting tried to duck, but it was just so fucking low down. Sting rolls him up, gets a three count, just as Ric Flair is coming down to get involved. He wipes out Luger, uh, gets onto Sting with a figure four, and here comes Hogan to save the day. A little bit of back and forth here, there, and everywhere with everybody involved, and Luger's hunched in the corner, licking his wounds. And while the four horsemen have ex- exited the ring now, Hogan then goes to give Lex a right hand, which Sting blocks, and Luger beats a hasty retreat. Sting then tries to calm Hogan down and it ends in a handshake between the two. Absolute convoluted mess. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. The from from the point where the match is finishing, it's almost as if nobody knows where they're supposed to be now. And it's all really clustered and it's all really confusing. Uh the only you know the, the only person I can really see here that's that's doing the right thing at each step is where Sting is. Sting's positioning for everything. You know, for for him for Rick to get him in the figure four, for him to roll up whoever he was meant to roll up, if it was indeed meant to be Pillman, to get the three count, and then to be there to stop Hogan from actually decking Lex. Everything's sort of right for him, but the rest of them, Luger's you know fumbling about being unusual. Pillman just looks confused. He met, I don't know if he took to, took a shot to his head or whatever, and just sort of fucking was dazed. Uh, but this whole thing just kind of looked a little bit. It looks a little bit unprofessional to me. Yeah, same here. As we come back from the break, Bischoff and Co summarise the episode plugging Saturday night for an update on the world champion Randy Savage, while McMichael does an impressive job of actually prompting people to go for the replay of World War 3. There'll be an update for Starcade on Saturday night also as we fade to black. That'll be the end of this Nitro, and we, we, we've gone off, gone off the air with Hogan now going after Lex Luger, Sting getting involved trying to calm everything down and all of a sudden the four horsemen look like the cohesive unit whereas the people that are going against the four horsemen seem to be all over the place and they don't know which which side the bread's buttered no it, it wasn't a good episode was it i mean there wasn't there wasn't really much to talk about really was there? no not a lot no i mean there, there was enough there's enough happening but there's not enough to just like you said there's not enough to really break down and talk about i mean the only <laughs> honestly the only interesting thing in this episode is probably the the johnny b bad ddp kimberly love triangle there's enough intrigue to really pick it pick it apart i don't know if they're all knackered after mm, world war three or what it's just, just the just a night off for them yeah it just seems to be a recurring issue with the uh fallout for the pay-per-views it tends to they are tend to be not the most spectacular shows mm. but uh this one took, took liberties with that yeah but the thing is i i see them as as probably the highest momentum as well you, you know you have that, that high momentum if, if your pay-per-view is successful you'll have high momentum going into your nitro or your raw the next day but also your highest momentum is the one before the pay-per-view as well you know because you've got to keep building you can have i think in the middle you can kind of let momentum slip a little bit but as long as your momentum's going into the pay-per-view and your momentum's coming out of the pay-per-view um, but this just seems to just fall flat completely after the pay-per-view because as we said at the offset of this uh, episode of the Nitrogen podcast, the pay-per-view is flat as well, just because of the 60-men clusterfuck. What, what would be your rating for this one, Brian? 1.5. And I'm, and I'm being generous with that. I will say I'm being very generous. I don't want to give it a zero. It's, it, it's not deserving of a zero. A one, for me, still feels like it's slightly unfair. There's enough going on, but it's just not actually going on in the ring unfortunately well the, the ratings seem to reflect that as well when it comes to nitro it gets a 2.3 versus rose 2.5 and 
the raw results which are being recorded from Richmond, Virginia. All three of them were recorded in Richmond, Virginia, actually. It looks like they were doing bulk tapings at this point. Uh, Ahmed Johnson defeated Brad Radford, Arja Kong and Tomoko Watanabe. Defeated Alundra Blaze and Kyoko Inoue. There we are, Alundra Blaze. Yeah, another women's match. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. Three of them four, I, I have no idea who they are. Yeah, I know Aja Kong. Right. Yeah, she's a, a pretty big Japanese star. Um, she's very synonymous with the career of Awesome Kong. Yeah. They, they had matches in Japan. Uh, I think I think that's how Awesome Kong got her name. Okay. I don't, I, I don't know much more than that. I just know of it. Hmm. Again, something worth looking uh, up. Uh, the Undertaker, accompanied to the ring by Paul Burra, defeated Sir Moore with Karma and Ted DiBiase accompanying him. And we don't need to hang about. We can go straight on to Nitro number 14, uh, December 4th, 1995, from Phoenix, Arizona. It's announced that Macho will put the title up against Lex Luger tonight on Nitro, while the winner of that will have to face off with either the Stinger, Lex Luger, or Ric Flair, who will face off at Starcade, or they'll face off at some point in the future in a three-way to decide who becomes the number one contender. Yeah, basically, there is a triangle match at Starcade uh, between... Sting, Rick Flair, and the loser of this match. Yeah. Essentially. Potentially as well. When it comes to it, at Starcade, one or two of these four could be wrestling three times on that card as well, which I'll go into, I'll go into detail later on. Oh, jeez. It's also announced that Hogan, the Giant, and Flair are all on probation after Hogan decked a referee last week, the Giant running down whenever he wants, etc., etc. So the powers, are, powers that be have decided that they're going to put all the major stars on probation here um yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, into the matches and straight away we get the american mills versus harlem heat with uh sensational sherry for the wcw world tag team championships a couple of drop kicks from stevie ray in the offense here what 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 rating would you give them on the drop kick homage? honestly i can't even remember them <laughs> you know well if you'd like if you'd like me to jump in ad lib I'd, I'd probably i'd probably give them maybe a five they weren't great. Yeah, there's I've... no rotation on the way back down. You know, he's he's hitting quite nicely, but he's just not. Doesn't look as smooth as many other people. Yeah, I do. find Stevie Ray quite forgettable as a performer. Mm. Yeah, he can be. He's he's he really is nothing without Booker T. Really is nothing. The main emphasis of this match is actually going to be taken over by Colonel Robert Parker's pursuit of a very active uh, Sherry, who's doing doing great at, at ringside. You know, cheering her boys on and everything like that. Very, very um, exuberant. Uh, she's been given a scarf or a shawl by Robert Parker and the two embrace and kiss while the match continues. And then the camera catches them both leaving. But then it turns out that she's got a ring on her finger as well and they're just all over each other. And she's absolutely delighted because it, it in fact seems that she's now engaged to Colonel Robert Parker. And once they've left, we're back in the ring and Harlem Heat have been distracted by her absence. For now, Harlem Heat have the upper hand and while the commentary puts over that the sh- she shouldn't have left her boys, Booker shows no sign of backing down at all whilst maintaining some heat with an obvious American celebrity who we Brits will have absolutely no clue. Yeah, I have absolutely no fucking clue. I just yeah. thought he was starting with a fan. I got, I got the name AC Green from the commentary. Uh, yeah, somewhat, somewhat along those lines. I'll be damned if I know 
with the amount of basketball players that are going to be coming into WCW over the next two years, I'm going to presume he's a basketball player, but he could be anything. There seems to be a bit of confusion as to how to go about Riggs getting the hot tag to Bagwell. So, yeah, so again, we're getting a little bit of... Um, we're getting four wrestlers in the ring who are sort of looking at each other like, well, you're supposed to be here and I'm supposed to be on the map, but none of us are in the right place at this moment in time. They do a fairly decent way of getting out of it and Riggs finally gets the hot tag to Bagwell. Um, there's a quick onslaught from Bagwell before more confusion. Uh, a massive sense on is the finish at the end, which is the the Harlem hangover from Booker T. Yeah, and it wins it for Harlem Heat. It was it was uh, really really good. It's such a shame that Booker doesn't well stop doing that move whenever he stopped doing it. I don't know how long he was doing it for, uh, but it really really good from a guy that size as well. Uh, but yeah, not a not a not a great match in terms of this is these are the WCW Tag Team Champions and these are the number one contenders for the WCW Tag Team Championships and we being the cameras are being taken away from the action in the ring to a fucking engagement plot involving Colonel Robert Parker and Sherry. Yeah, they spend way too long panning away from the actual action in the ring. Mm. Yeah, it was very distracting. Very, very distracting. Coming back from a break, uh, Sting and Lex talk with Mean Gene. Sting says that he thinks that Lex has a good chance of winning the title tonight on Nitro, but he won't take it easy on Lex should he win the triangle match at Starcade to get his title shot. Lex says he agrees that he will be the next champ, which comes to major boos from the crowd, and that he'll do the same to Sting should the pair face off at Starcade for the world title. We to mention here that Sting isn't really happy with Lex Luger hanging around with Jimmy Hart, but he's also just passing mm. it off as business is business. And I mean, if you're his best friend, you really should be doing more of a job to convince him to not be hanging around with yeah, him. Yeah, completely agree. You know, never to say no. I'm not a fan of his business decisions, but that's what it. You know, it is what it is. It's like, no. If you're if you're the good friend that you say you are, tell him that he's wrong for doing yeah. that. Uh, in the end of this, Lex goes goes to the back again, and uh, Sting makes his entrance to the ring uh, with massive ring pyro instead of rather having entrance way pyro to face off with Kurosawa. After last week, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> well, say so last week, our most recent episode where he nearly runs into his pyro. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's miss- already on the ramp. We don't need pyro going off there, lads. That's it, yeah. But you never know in WCW, it could just happen. The missus noted as well that Lex Luger realised he'd gone through the, the actual entrance way and then came back out again because he'd gone the wrong way. Uh, I didn't see that. <laughs> I, I didn't see that. it either. But she she saw it. She's like, "Why is Lex coming back out? He's, he's gone the wrong way because he's come back out and he's had to go a different way." Lex Luger doing Lex Luger things. Yeah, Lex is Lex. Uh, <laughs> so on to Sting versus Kurosawa. Bischoff on commentary has a cheeky little dig at the WWF by saying, "While the others are paying their bills, there's a big drop kick from Sting here. Another one for the drop kickometer." Yeah, it's always an, a solid eight with Sting, isn't it? He's so good with his drop kicks. Hmm. Mm. Uh, this sends Kurosawa out, out of the ring, but Kurosawa gets the advantage when they get back in the ring, particularly going for the arm as Kurosawa is the arm breaker of WCW. There's a lot of concentration on that arm, obviously, but it quickly turns when Kurosawa is in the corner offering up many chops, but Sting comes out fighting. Uh, a Sting of Splash and a Scorpion Death out later, and it's another win for Sting. Very much like the Hugh Morris-Hulk Hogan match, quite squashy, with a, a little bit of offence from the... Uh, from the loser. And immediately, immediately, it was blatant that Sting was going to win. I mean, we all knew that Sting was going to win. He's not going to say that, oh, I've got all this momentum, and then he loses, because that does nothing yeah. for him. 
But then Heen uncovers for a potential loss uh, by Kurosawa by saying uh, he needs Robert Parker to translate instructions from the ref. So it's like, immediately I just thought, well, okay, you're, you're just basically covering for his loss there. Yeah. Just trying to maintain the character, aren't they, really, without it damaging the, the reputation of him that much. Even though, you know, if you're losing against yeah. Sting, who's potentially going for the world championship, it's not going to damage you that much. No, you don't. I don't think you need that extra layer. No, there's a plug for Starcade 1995, which it, it turns out will air on Wednesday, the 27th of December, which is a very random day to have a pay per view. But obviously, I know that there's going to be a lot of Japanese people there, and and I think WCW got a couple of more events scheduled around that time as well. But it's also announced here that the stars of Japan will be facing off with stars from WCW all the way through the card. So as I, as I alluded to earlier some wrestlers potentially wrestling three times on that card. Sting is going to be facing off against one of the Japanese wrestlers. Lex is going to be facing off against one of the Japanese wrestlers and the Macho Man would be as well. And then you've got to have the, the triple threat match, which includes Ric Flair, who's not wrestling earlier, against one of the Japanese wrestlers. And then whoever wins the, the triple threat then goes and faces the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. So potentially, for a guy like, say, for example, for Sting, he could be wrestling three times on one card. And, yeah, that's going to knock the wind out of you. Especially with them fucking Japanese wrestlers as well, because they're stiff motherfuckers. Yes, as long as it's not Lex. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, see, see, potentially seeing him twice is bad enough. Seeing him potentially three times, that's yeah. horrifying. On to the next match here, and I don't mind telling you, Brian, that I think that this, honestly, on this episode of the Nitrogen Podcast, this probably is the match that everybody needs to go back and watch. This is Scott Norton versus The Giant. Now, not I know what people are screaming right now. They're like, this is like a big man match and this must be fucking shit. And I'm actually like, I did not mind this match. It's not fucking brilliant by any stretch of the imagination. No. It's two brutes just going to town on each other, essentially. And there's only really two or three big spots in it. So The Giant gets a big scoop slam with a, a very very long post just holding him up in the air scott norton gets a, a massive atomic drop on the giant with an eat what seems to be like an even longer post and then just fucking screams at the top of his lungs flexes his fucking arms and you could just see the absolute rippage in his arms in his back it just it actually gave me you know it made me sit up yes and it made me just go fucking hell that was yeah. good it you know I mean, Norton, you can tell he's got the strength in him. You can tell. But there's still a size proportion between the two. And you think there would be at least a little bit of struggle in picking up the giant. He does it so effortlessly. It's fucking mm. impressive. Absolutely mm. brute strength there. And I thought this was pretty random, putting Scott Norton against the giant. But it, it, it did... I think it did favours for the Giant after looking a little bit like a wuss last week with them fucking atrociously bad chair shots from Hulk Hogan. But Scott Norton hasn't, although he's been locked in a programme with the Shark, Scott Norton hasn't diminished his character in, in any way either. He's sorry, he's come in and he's continuously looked like a badass that could just rip somebody apart given the chance. I never thought that it would be the giant that he could potentially rip apart. But right now, all the fibre of my being wanted Scott Norton to win this match. Really did. Um, yeah. 
and I want to see more mm. of these two go at it. And they, they kind of given Scott Norton an out. Is that he actually tried to go up top and do an aerial move, and he just landed into yeah. the short slam. And that short slam was pretty damn impressive in itself. I mean, we know what Big Shaw can do, or Giant, whatever you want to call him. You know, we know what he can do. We know he's got the strength. But again, Scott Norton, he, he looks like an absolute barrel of a man. And Giant just picks him up pretty much with ease and one-handed as well. Well, they said one-handed. He's got his hand, other hand on his back, but all that strength is in the one hand. Yeah. And yeah, very, very good stuff. This match is just there to... to to put uh, put over the strength of both competitors, and it's a shame that it was so short. But you know, if if we get to see these two go at it again, I will be all for it. Yeah, definitely. It's short, it's sweet, and it does say a lot about the other content that's been on the last Nitro and this Nitro that that I'm going to personally say that you know, if you've got two and a half minutes free, go and have a look at this match because. For its time as well, it's just uh, just so impressive, and I'm, I'm finding myself liking Scott Norton more and more and more as time goes on. Really, um, yeah. If you if you're on the toilet having a dump and you want something to do, watch yeah. the match. <laughs> um, next up, Ric Flair brings out Charles Barkley, who he claims is the best basketball player in the world today. Uh, again, I wouldn't have known Charles Barkley. I actually thought they said Niles Barkley. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. <laughs> Um, but now we know Niles Barkley based himself off, uh, based his name off rather. But yeah, for Ric Flair to say that in the day of Michael Jordan, Carl Malone, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman, it's kind of a bit of a, it's it's heelish. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, very much so. Barkley does try and you know give it a little bit of heel play and everything like that. But this is essentially just a, this is just an excuse to bring a celebrity out on Nitro. Yeah, and he couldn't sound more infused as well. Yeah, I think it, 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 it just maybe he's just such a bad promo. But you think being a, a well-known sports star, apparently, you think he'd be used to having a mic in front of him by now, and he's just sounding like, "Yeah, Ric Flair, he's uh, I've got nothing on this guy." I did kind of come on, uh, uh, yeah, as... come on, give me the money. I want to go. <laughs> it's it's like you know, show a little bit of passion. Yeah, I mean, as you've just said, then I can I did kind of put that towards it being a sports athlete that kind of there's a lot of sports people out there that just don't know how to have charisma on a microphone really and i kind of put it down to that really but as you said you know if he's being paid then you never know it might just be i just want pain and i just want to get the hell out of here he obviously pales in comparison to having you know arguably the greatest fucking promo of all time the greatest mic worker of all time alongside him yeah and and that only really adds to uh what we're saying because he's just saying that he, he he can't hold a candle to rick for no fucking shit mate <laughs> i mean even even gene has more charisma yeah you've got a lot going against you there mm. uh flair alludes to barkley potentially joining the ho- the, the four horsemen as well just 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 for the sake please of don't but please no. do not yeah <laughs> pretty throwaway to be honest just let's get a celebrity onto nitro and people might pop for it whoopsie fucking do that uh, but again, for a British audience, it means diddly squat to us because you know it's not fucking, it's not Vera from Coronation Street, is it? It's not, it's not somebody we're gonna fucking recognise. I nearly fucking spotted my drink. <laughs> of all the was... people, of all the niche references, Vera from Corrie. I was gonna go with Nosy Norris, but I couldn't remember his fucking name, and after I'd said Vera, I realised it was Norris. Uh, saying that, speaking of. Uh... 
uh, Corey and wrestling crossovers. There has been one before. Um, I was at Preston City Wrestling a few years ago, and it were the Chris Travis Foundation event. This was before uh, Chris Travis sadly died, yeah. um, and uh, they had a battle royal. And this was uh, uh, this was around the time it was it was the same it was actually the same week that the actress that played Deirdre and Corey had passed away. And in this match, in this battle royal, there was a wrestler dressed up as Deirdre. And he got eliminated. And the announcer said, and for the second time this week, Deirdre has been eliminated to the biggest chorus of fucking boo. (laughs) I would just stood there laughing my fucking head off. Holy shit, that's dark. Yes, very dark. Wow. You can see that I can act, I can actually you know I, I can appreciate dark humor sometimes. I, w- I I think I was the only the only person in this nightclub laughing. <laughs> and the other thing is as well that's an event for you know a guy that's like got cancer at that point as well. Yeah. So oh, yeah, just a position is, is like that is really close to the bone. Holy shit! Very very close to the bone. But I I just couldn't help but laugh because it's just so unex- unexpected. Wow, I don't even know what to say. I honestly don't. That is just yeah. Uh... Fuck, you know, you see why PCW <laughs> don't really you don't really hear from him anymore, do you? I know they still put on events and stuff. I mean, I were over in Preston before all this lockdown stuff happened, and they were having some sort of show in the middle of the ta- uh, the middle of the square. There was actually a guy wrestling on there that I, I I knew from years ago um that used to come down to Darwin and do a lot of training with us and stuff like that but yeah the rest of them I didn't really recognize it's just all pretty new it's almost as if they tried to reboot it wouldn't surprise me after that joke yeah they're um they're bringing a lot of people from the PCW academy and I think it's just a case of like uh trying just cut back on bringing in these international stars which were which was the, it was the the soul of that company, really, and uh, just try and uh, influence a new generation of wrestlers, which isn't a bad idea to be fair, but just trying to have a healthy mix, I'd say. But you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I think that's what it was lacking, wasn't it? I mean, they were bringing over people like Ken Anderson, and you know, Chris Masters ended up being the world champion for quite a you know quite a while, so he had to come over and defend the title here, there, and everywhere. And then they were bringing Lita, and then they were bringing, you know, the Steiner brothers. I met the Steiner brothers while we were up there and all that sort of stuff. And it's just, you've got to find that right balance. And it seemed at one point that they were just bringing, they were bringing superstars over for the sake of it. They were packing the place out. Yeah. But it's it's just a shame that they couldn't find the healthy balance to, to, to promote new stars whilst using people like Lita as a prime example to, to sort of put these new new stars over speaking of chris masters that same event unbeknownst to me at the time i was actually hanging around with chris masters uh, masters then fiance i don't know if they're still together i only found out after the All fact right. but yeah she actually just said i was de- yeah i'm dating one of the wrestlers i didn't realize she was dating chris masters and it were her and a friend and a friend was dressed as poison ivy and they were just stood there drinking with me and my mate and they were absolutely fucking gone at this point and they were basically just saying like yeah, can you judge our jumping, uh, jumping salmon out of water uh, contest? And they proceeded to actually jump back <laughs> salmon out of water. Yeah, you, that 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 night is an experience of itself. Seriously, yeah. I'm surprised we never met at a PCW event. You know, I mean, 
I've only been to the two, so have you? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, I weren't, I weren't a season ticket holder or anything like that, but I think I went to maybe five or six of them. And to be fair, everyone that I went to, I always had a good time. I've got a lot of good stories, you know. Yeah. The first, the first one I went to was Festive Fury. I want to say 2012. Uh, you had a uh, John Morrison in the main event. Yeah. Yeah. You had Eugene in one of the matches as well. Yeah. Uh, that that was something. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's it's a shame that it's gone the way that it's gone. Um. But yeah, some uh, some good times down there. So we'll get back onto this episode of WCW Nitro. Get this over and done with, really, because there's not much else to talk about. Um, and it's the Macho Man versus Lex Luger for the World Championship. Uh, it takes a little bit of time to get started, which is probably down to Macho's injuries, which is going to help him fucking, you know, just 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 save time and save himself bumping around. Gotta say, Macho Man again. Just it, it, it just seems like every time he's got a big match, or any time he's got a match, he just wears the most fabulous looking gear. Mm. Uh, in this match, he's wearing lime green and raspberry pink. And he just—I I don't know—I I just could go for like, uh, like refresh, re- refresher squishies or whatever they fucking call them. Then with these sweets, you get ones that are basically, uh, I think they're apple and raspberry. But they, you know, he, he looks just like them. You know, he just looks delicious. I can only imagine you watching this, this just taking notes of this nitro and thinking, and then he comes out with his entrance. And you're like, oh, I really want some Aribo now. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> then you see Lex Luger and you're like, ugh, I really need a fucking alcoholic beverage. Uh, I don't want chicken for tea tonight. <laughs> so yeah, we, we, it's a pretty even heavyweight contest. Uh, Macho's not even missing a step though, even though he's he's really, really hurting. There's top rope manoeuvres and suplexes, they all continue. Heenan details that you have to pin Savage because he just never stops. It's announced during this match that Hogan and Sting will team against uh, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair next week on Nitro before we go to a break. Uh, just as we're going into the break, you'll see that uh, Savage is working Lex's arm and this continues after we come back from the break on the outside and the inside of the ring. This is obviously revenge for Luger's continued onslaught on Savage at World War Three, where he continued to focus on the arm and then and Sting ended up coming down to try and defuse the situation. Got to say... Lex Luger impressed the fuck out of me in this match. Yeah, you enjoyed it. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it was a, a five-star match classic. You're not going to get that with Lex Luger. Uh, it it speaks a lot about the man that he seems to, that every time there's a World Heavyweight Championship match, he seems to put in a shift. And he does here. Uh, maybe he's just a lazy son of a bitch. Maybe he just, you know, he only puts in the effort when it actually means something. I don't know. It could just be Macho Man's step by step match writing, but Luger actually selling a body part and actually just just putting in a, an all round shift. I was more impressed with Luger here than I ever have been. You know, hmm. it, you know. Again, it just says a lot about the man that it it he's just not very well known for for basically doing anything much in a match and he does put in a lot of effort here I'll give him his due yeah I'd hope it's because he's facing a man like Macho Man and he's upped his game simply because he is facing somebody of that calibre obviously if he's in a match with Hulk Hogan again you're limited to what you can do with Hulk Hogan anyway but also the ego is the size of the planet and why why are you going to want to up your game 
against somebody like Hulk Hogan when you know you're going to get squashed by him at any given turn that he, you know, any opportunity that Hogan has. But yet that match that they had with Hulk Hogan, I actually said then that he impressed me there as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't really uh, anything special by any means, but he made it look like a title match. Hmm. So, yeah, again, I think it's a case of when it actually means something, he will do something. If it doesn't yeah. mean anything, he'll just be Lex Luger and slack off. Yeah, it's a good shout. It's a good point. I've never really thought about it like that, really. But when I'm when I'm thinking about this match, you know, he is he is selling like a trooper for Macho, and he is um, he is making it look as good as he can to, to the best of Lex's ability as well. So still, still his standard. Ah, yeah. ah, <laughs> ah, selling. It's noticed that Macho each time he rolls out of a pin attempt, he's he's got a limp left arm, so he's even just fucking selling this arm like fuck, like almost almost as if his left arm is just completely dead. There's such a lack of depth when it comes to Lexi's move set, although he is he is selling like a trooper and he is getting all the strikes in. Though the whole match has been like that, really. It's just been strike, strike, strike. Not many moves to talk about. Whilst the two are out of the ring, Jimmy Hart has taken the turnbuckle off, which doesn't work well for Lex, actually. Uh, Macho runs Lex into it and there's a big elbow from the top, but there's no referee to do the count. Now, this is where things are going to get interesting. Ric Flair comes down to help Jimmy Hart and a delicious-looking right hand to Macho connects. Whoever's doing the production at WCW has got the perfect camera angle just to see this right hand go into Macho's face, and it looks like it connects. Macho sells it perfectly. Yeah. Jimmy rolls Lex on top now so that he can get the pinfall while Flair goes back to the back, but the Hulkster is stalking him coming out of the entranceway. This kind of annoyed me a little bit because Flair does actually look back, and I think he sees Hogan and then turns around again. Yes. He chases Flair back into the ring, but Hogan has noticed that the referee is about to count Lex's pin. He prevents that, which makes the referee throw it out as a no contest. And in the melee, Hogan is about to jaw Lex Luger, but Sting comes in to shove Lex out of the way and receives the right hand from Hogan. Sting then is is just absolutely hot and mental, and Savage stops the pair of them from well, stops Sting from probably giving Hogan a couple of right hands as well. Mongo had the call of the night in this whole clusterfuck of a post-match sequence. It's when Ric Flair is against the ropes and Hogan is going in to punch him, but he just he, he stops short because he gets distracted. Mongo shouts, he's going to knock the peroxide off his head. <laughs> Fucking pop me to fuck. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Really digging, really digging, McMichael at the moment. Really, yeah, for, really digging. For everything that I said about him, I take it back. He he's been consistently brilliant on commentary. I mean, um, mm. even sometimes when he comes out with some confusing shit, you know, I mean about in coughing up his own toenail a few weeks ago. That was just gross. <laughs> Sorry to put that thought back in your head, Mark. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> hey, if it's any <laughs> consolation, that thought has come back into my head. Yeah, silly little things like that aside, NFL chatter, uh, constantly talking about the Chicago Bears. Uh, did he play for the Chicago Bears? I'm guessing he did. But either way, he's got an obsession with them. All that aside, he's enthusiastic and he does come out with some really funny lines. He seems to have eased himself into that commentary position quite nicely. He seemed quite nervous at the beginning. And he seemed to babble a little bit and he seemed to stumble over a little bit. But as he's kind of making yeah. it his own now, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he, he has become a very, very competent announcer. But someone that, that does have a wrestling background as well, you know, I've got to give him his due. Yeah, 12 years at the Chicago Bears as well. Oh, right. Okay, that answers that. Just in case you were wondering. 
we end up going to a break and coming back from a break, Hogan asks which side Sting is on. Uh, visibly pissed off, Sting says that he's totally on Hogan's side and that Lex is mix, mixed up. And while he is his friend, he wants to know would Hogan run out on any of his friends. Hogan makes the point that Macho warned us all about Luger and his true colours, but Sting continues to defend him and says maybe he's pissed off that he didn't get the opportunities that he thinks he deserved. In the end, Hogan and Sting shake hands and for now cohesion if Sting can keep Lex Luger out of Hogan's way, to which Sting agrees to keep Lex out of Hogan and Macho's way. See, this answers a lot of questions. It ties it all together and it makes complete sense. The only thing that doesn't make sense is, call back to last week, is Luger's clear bullshit in the tag match. Yeah. I mean, why sell that as a, as a thing that you just don't follow up on a week later? It mm. just seems like everyone's forgotten about that. That was one thing that was in the back of my mind. But everything else, it it, it makes complete sense, and it's actually a very good storyline when you pick it apart. Yeah, we'll have to see how it goes over the next couple of weeks. Going into Starcade, we're actually almost completely through 1995 now, Brian, which is unbelievable to think about, really, because it only feels like we've been doing this, you know, for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, we've gotten through it pretty quickly. Yeah. It's a good thing that the Nitros are quite short in that aspect, because that way we can actually just fly through them. Yeah. And, you know, and the, and the one thing that Nitro's been consistent right from the start is that the episodes are very snappy. Even the bad ones are very snappy. They don't feel like they're dragging out for like, for a, you know, double the time or triple yeah. the time. Yeah, there's not a lot of time being wasted either, is there? I mean, we go back to this main event here and, and there was, you know, maybe a minute at the beginning where there wasn't any action. It was just sort of, I don't know, it was just sort of deader, if you like, in terms of wrestling. But they, they, they do get into it and the, the match does drastically improve. But just to go back, just as we're closing off the show here, uh, Sting kind of stumbles in his promo a little bit, but he, he he tries to save it. And we still it still seems like we're giving Hogan the rub from Sting to keep him over. That's unfortunate. Yeah. We go back to the commentators to round out the show and remind people that there's dissension within the ranks of the top tier of WCW athletes while the four horsemen seem, seem to have their shit together. Closing off Nitro there, can we get your rating for this one, Brian? Yeah, it was a 2.5. Again, nothing special. The matches weren't offensively bad. Two matches were very short, unfortunately, but it's a 45-minute show. This one actually went a little bit longer than previous episodes, so I think it I think it ended up rounded out to 55 minutes, but it, it didn't feel like any time was really wasted anywhere outside those two matches. It seems like the, the, the title match was given a fair due amount of time. It wasn't a spectacular show, but it, it wasn't bad. So yeah, 2.5 I'd give it. Yeah, You've actually mentioned a point there that I should have elaborated on a little bit. So Nitro did lead in and try and lead out as well to, to make sure that they, they encapsulated the viewers from potentially going to Raw. And it seems to have worked if you were going off a ratings win for the week. The rating was 2.6 for Nitro versus Raw's 2.4. And again, coming from Richmond, Virginia, the Raw results from a taping were the British Bulldog with Jim Cornette defeating Bob Holly, Fatu defeating the Brooklyn Brawler, Razor Ramon, the WWF Intercontinental Champion, defeating Dean Douglas. Is Dean Douglas Shane Douglas? It is, yes. All right, okay. He was essentially a college Dean character in WWF, hence the name Dean Douglas. But it's clear that Vince McMahon doesn't know what a fucking Dean is because he was a teacher. (laughs) The main event for that one was Marty Jannetty versus Sid, who was accompanied by Ted DiBiase, and they wrestled to an all contest. Oh, five-star classic, though. (laughs) Yeah, I was. 
I mean, uh, until I got to the bottom there, I was thinking to myself, that's actually not a bad card when you look at it. But, you know, Bulldog versus Bob Holly, Razor Ramon versus Douglas. I don't mind Sid. I'm not too clued up on Marty Gennetti, to be perfectly honest. Gennetti's not a bad performer. I was going to say, he wasn't a bad performer. He was with she was with Shawn Michaels, weren't he? Yeah, it was the Rockies. Yeah, and obviously we know about Fatu. Rikisha. I just don't like the Brooklyn Brawler. I, I don't think anyone's ever meant to like the guy, to be honest with you. <laughs> and we're seeing a lot of Ted DiBiase as well on WWF Raw at this moment in time. But yeah, not, not a bad show when it comes to WWF Raw, though. No. And that's another episode of the Nitrogen Podcast in the can. We want to thank you very much for listening in, as always. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you certainly can do. Uh, you can go on Facebook, where you just like us. Uh, you can go on Twitter, you can go on Reddit, you can go on Instagram. Uh, it's at NitrogenCaster. And you can also find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all the major podcast platforms as well, thanks to Red Circle. Um, you can follow our personal profiles, if you so choose to. And Brian's going to go into a little bit more detail now because he's changed his. So, fire away, Brian. Mark has had his for a very long time. It's very noticeable. Hard gram with sixes instead of A's. For me, it's trying to say, oh yeah, it's my name, we out, the vowels. If you've not really seen my name anywhere, really, you're probably going to be wondering, right, well, is his name spelled with an I or a Y? So I've changed it. It's now Das Acton Kid. And that is very fitting, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, if you're reading my Twitter feed up late, yeah, very, very fitting. Been very accident prone lately. <laughs> and we've got plenty of things in the pipeline as well. We're always welcoming suggestions from you guys as to what to do to fill these many, many hours during lockdown. We want to make it as entertaining as possible for you guys as well. It's always massively educational having conversations with people out there that are listening to what we're doing here because we're just doing it for fun. We're not doing it for any other reason but just to have a laugh. And I'm glad I've got my good pal, Brian, that's Acton Kid, over there on Twitter to go through all this with me. I'm sure it's going to get better in the coming weeks, in the coming months. Back at you. If anybody just follows me on Twitter, know that I'm, I'm very passionate about this project. Um, it, it's some of the most fun that I've ever had, really. Um, it's actually keeping my own oh, mental issues at bay. Uh, obviously, everyone's going through it right now. And yeah, it, 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 it's keeping me occupied. It's giving me something to look forward to. And I have a blast every time we do one of these, despite the quality of the show. <laughs> the worse the quality, the better our podcasts. That's what I said in the last one. I agree with that, yes. For me, Marvelous Mark Ashworth, and for Das Acton Kid, we'll catch you next time on the Nitrogen Podcast. See you later, guys.